listening to My Life, My Say's podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Swazi and welcome to Quarantine Question Time, hosted by My Life, My Say. This is a brand new digital space, and if you're joining us for the first time, then welcome. We absolutely welcome you. We love to have you. And if you're coming back again from another episode, then welcome back. Uh, we're going to give people about a minute or so, so grab your drinks, grab your snacks, you're locked in for about an hour or so. We have got a very, very special guest joining us all the way from the States. It is, of course, Secretary of Defence, the one and only Chuck Hagel's with us this evening, and then we're joined by some other young leaders as well. Um, so stay tuned, tell a friend to tell a friend, share it on the socials. We'll start in about a minute or so to give yourself time to jump on. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Swazi, and you're welcome, welcome, welcome to this new brand from the platform called Quarantine Question Time. This is a digital space for young people to receive expert advice on coronavirus and its impact on young people. We have got a whole host of special guests ready to chop up this conversation. So we're giving you about 30 seconds just to jump on, get your snacks, get your drinks. You're going to be locked in for about an hour or so. Okie doke, I think we're good to go. Well, good evening, good evening. My name is Swazi and welcome to Quarantine Question Time hosted by My Life, My Say. This is a brand new digital space for young people to receive expert advice on coronavirus and its impact on young people. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, a fantastic welcome to you guys. We love to have you. And this show takes place every Thursday from 6.30 p.m. Make sure you jump on the socials, follow us at My Life My Say on Twitter, and be part of the conversation by using the hashtag QuarantineQT. We'll be following this for all live questions and comments, so get typing and get typing away. Before we kick off the event today, I would like to invite Mete Koban, MBE, the CEO of My Life My Say, to just say a few words about today's event. Yeah, thank you, Swazi, and thank you, Secretary Hagel, for joining us all the way from the US. Um, Massive thank you to everyone for joining us and giving us the time uh, for tonight's event. I firstly wanted to introduce uh, what we do at My Life, My Say. Uh, we're a charity focused on empowering young people to participate in democracy and to turn up and vote in elections because we know that unless we're at the voting table, or unless we're voting, uh, we're not going to be at the decision-making table. Uh, since going into lockdown, we felt it was really important that young people's voices were heard because Let's face it, you know, we are going to live with the economic downturn of the coronavirus pandemic. And we already know that the pandemic has already exposed and amplified a lot of inequalities in our society, which disproportionately affects our generation. So it's so important that our voices are heard. Um, I'm really proud as the CEO of My Life, My Say, to be, you know, bringing together some of the biggest names in politics to be with you. Um, and since we've launched the Quarantine Question Time series, we've engaged with thousands of young people from around the world. Uh, we've had many activists uh, from different parts of the world joining us, telling us about how they can make sure that young people's voices are heard. And today we're joined by a very, very important guest, uh, someone who, you know, Swazi will go on to introduce him and, you know, he's got, he's decorated with uh, success in, in all fields, uh, with politics and military and in business as well. Um, but we're very lucky to be joined by Secretary Hegel. So, Secretary Hegel, thank you so much for your time today and we really look forward to, to your question and answer session. Thanks so much, Mete. Thank you so much. If you've just joined us, welcome again to Quarantine Question Time. My name is Swazi. This is hosted by My Life, My Say. And as Mete just said, this week we are joined by the one and only, drumroll please, the US former Secretary of Defense is Chuck Hagel in the house. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm just fine, Swazi. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I heard you're drinking tea. Uh, I, I am, uh, to your health. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I love that he's tuned in and he's already got his cup ready. So let me tell you guys a little bit about this VIP on the call tonight. Secretary Hagel served as the Secretary of Defense during the Obama administration. Prior to his role in the US government, Secretary Hagel served as a United States Senator for Nebraska from 1997 to 2009. He's also a decorated war veteran serving as an infantry squad leader in the Vietnam War. I mean, your resume goes on and on, Secretary Hagel. Well, uh, thank you. I guess I was just in the, at the, in the right place at the right time. <laughs> We've got so much to be 
chopping up this evening. We've got so many questions from young people jumping in as well. Um, and we're going to be joined by you today to, of course, discuss the latest on coronavirus in the USA. You're going to share with us your journey into politics and also provide us some exclusive info about what it looks like to work with President Obama. Um, for you guys who have just joined in as well, you will see a chat box and we want you to type in where you're calling in from. We're international tonight. So type in where you're calling in from. We would love to know where you are. Um, before we kick things off, we want to start and just let you know some of the ground rules and how all of this operates. So at the bottom of your Zoom screen, at the bottom there, you'll see a couple functions. One of them is called raise your hand. Throughout the event, you'll have the opportunity to make your own comments or ask questions to the panelists in order to conduct this in a fair way to allow everyone the opportunity to speak. You will need to indicate by clicking the raise your hand function and then we'll call your name to unmute you and you can go ahead and share your comment or your question. There's also the Q&A function. So if you prefer not to speak, that's absolutely fine. You can type your question through the Q&A function on your screen and we'll pick up those questions to share with our panelists. There's also a live polling feature. We'll be practicing democracy in action by giving you guys the opportunity to vote throughout the event. This will pop up on your screen when I indicate and all you need to do is vote. So Secretary Hegel, all throughout this kind of series we've been doing, we've been asking one big question to find out where young people are. And the question for tonight, you should see this poll pop up on your screen, guys, is what do you think will be the biggest impact globally as a result of COVID-19? Um, so Secretary Hegel, do you have any of those thoughts? This, this poll will pop up. Do you have an idea of what you think might be the number one choice for young people in particular that you think will impact them globally as a result of COVID-19? Well, uh, first, Swazi, thank you again uh, for you and your team for having me. And I appreciate the opportunity to exchange some thoughts with uh, so many uh, young, bright people uh, all around the world. As to your question, uh, every aspect of our lives uh, will now be changed forever. And I mean every aspect. Uh, how, we, how we work, how we play, uh, national security, trade, environment, commerce, economics, diplomacy. Uh, it wasn't just the pandemic itself, the COVID-19 virus. We have been drifting into this kind of a world and it's historically uh, about right. Uh, I think you've got to go back to the world order that uh, we built, the world built after World War II, a liberal world order. Uh, we built coalitions of common interests, which uh, uh, had never uh, been there. And uh, those coalitions of common interests were institutions uh, based on uh, common interests of all nations, the United Nations uh, being uh, the first and, and biggest, but other uh, agencies and institutions also, like General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, which is now WTO, the World Bank, um, IMF. And we have, over the last few years, I think, been experiencing uh, a lack of confidence in those institutions by all countries, especially the democracies in the world. Then comes along COVID-19, and it even puts further pressure on institutions of government, especially, whether governments are up to uh, handling these uh, big global challenges. Do we need the kind of world order that we've had for the last 70 years? Uh, I think COVID-19 has just brought it into a, a focus, a special light that has, been, that has been working its way over the last few years into this reality. So you ask the question, how our lives will be changed? Well, they'll be changed like I said, in every way. You're going to see supply line chains, uh, travel, logistics, commerce, um, nations' positions uh, on diplomacy, uh, security yeah. issues, environmental issues, especially environmental issues. One of the things we're realizing more and more is that, that we all are global citizens. Mm. We're, we're citizens of a, of a sovereign country, but we're global citizens. That means we all breathe the same air. We're all captive uh, to the same environmental challenges, and we're all captive to everything that globally is going on, including health pandemics. So that's, 
I, that's a general answer, but I think it requires a general answer to your question. Yeah, no, brilliant. And, and what you said there about our lives changing, all of us, all of us will have lives change. We won't go back to the normal that we once knew before. Um, and so I know you've got a lot of interest in terms of supporting young people. And for those who've just seen the poll up there, vote, your answers are going to be taken at the end of the show. We're going to count through the votes and see where people land. Um, but Secretary Hegel, we want to really dive into kind of your life as well. And so, you know, give me some of the, um, the tips as well but I just wanted to just kind of hone in on some of your bio because it's fascinating your life um, just some of the things to say you joined the army at a young age during the Vietnam War um, rejecting an opportunity to go to college so I want to kind of unpack that a little bit to know what that was like to kind of make that decision between serving your country or, or going to college um, you're, a you're a decorated war hero with two purple hearts for your service um, and so yeah you've been wounded twice in battle and so we want to just be like wow that is that's a life that is that is full of experience that we want to unpack with you um, and then not only that you turned your hand to um, business and became very successful and then jumped into politics and and served under Obama as his Secretary of Defense so we've got to be asking you my gosh is there anything that you cannot do and I suppose my first question to all of that is what motivated you to get into politics well to start with there are a lot of things I can't do uh, <laughs> many things um, uh, starting with working my iPhone and my iPad. Um, I'm not even out of junior high. Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm a very limited human being. Well, I think uh, generally if, there's, if there's, there's been a North Star in my life, and we all need a North Star, um, something that guides us is uh, you, you try to do, first of all, what's right no matter what job you have or what your ambition is. Uh, and when you get in those jobs, particularly it's important to stay focused on do what you think is right. But then too, I think uh, it's a matter of, as you're young and starting out and thinking about what you wanna do, don't limit yourself. Um, follow your interest. Um, you'll, you will find and go down many paths that don't necessarily work. Uh, and, and when you're on a path like that, or you're in a job like that, uh, or in a situation like that, uh, get out of it. Mm. Get out of it responsible, responsibly, but uh, try to find what you love. Uh, try to find what interests you. Try to find where you feel that you can make a contribution to making a better world. And that'll, that'll lead you, that, that'll, that'll take you places you, you never thought you'd be. Uh, when I uh, joined the Army and volunteered to go to Vietnam, um, if someone would have told me you're gonna be Secretary of Defense one day, or United States Senator one day, or whatever, um, I would have laughed at them. Yeah. Um, I, that's not possible. Well, uh, everything's possible. If you work hard enough, if you believe in yourself, and trust your own instincts. Uh, listen to people. You have to listen to uh, people all the time. And you want good advice. But you are the only one down deep that knows who you are. And, and try to know yourself as best you can. And I, I think that's fundamental as well. Um, I'm uh, 74 years old. I don't really know if I uh, know myself yet completely. That's um, yeah. I think I do, but I'm not sure there aren't parts of me that I really don't get. Um, but, but try to understand yourself as well as you can. You, you don't have to psychoanalyze yourself every day, no. And the last point I'd make, and, and because uh, you asked me a broad question, I'm giving you some broad answers to it. And if you want to get into the more specifics of my career, I will. But, but that is the last point I'd make is uh, take inventory of yourself every now and then. It's important to do that. Take stock. Um, meaning that, you know, we all know when we're veering a little bit too far to the left or too far to the right, or we're just not hitting on all cylinders or something's not working for us. Uh, well, uh, examine that. Don't be afraid to do that. Get, get in a situation where you're, you're by yourself and you're quiet. Mm -hmm. and, and we all can find those times. Uh, I do it in the morning when I'm shaving. I've got a quiet time. I'm looking at myself in the mirror and um, you know, I can kind of be honest with myself and nobody else is in the room. Yeah. So uh, I think those are, at least for me, those are 
guideposts that have worked for me and have taken me into areas and opportunities and I never thought possible. Uh, there are opportunities all the time, everywhere. You, you, you have to look for them. You, you've got to work hard. And this will be my last point. And it's fundamental. Always associate yourself with good people. Always associate yourself with good people. Good friends are important. Uh, and you want to be with people and with institutions that are good, that are decent, uh, that are honest, that, and that are all about making it a better world. So if you want to go into any specifics, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, we're going to talk away at those specifics. We just want to say hi to some of the people who've jumped in. Hi to Tom Fisher. Um, hi to Mary Ann as well. Some people are saying, um, really love your, your advice about, yeah, having good friends. Um, so many people calling in from London as well. We've got people coming in from all different places. Yeah, thanks so much to everyone locking in. Um, some of the specifics there, some people want, people want to know really, um, can you describe what it was like to serve as Secretary of Defense during the Obama administration? Yes. Well, uh, first, President uh, Obama and I knew each other pretty well um, uh, before he asked me to be Secretary of Defense. He had come to the Senate uh, uh, four years before he was elected to pres as president. So he was only in the Senate for four years. He and I served together on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, along with Joe Biden and along with John Kerry. Uh, so uh, Joe Biden uh, is an old, old friend, a very close friend of mine. Uh, and I got to know President Obama pretty well uh, during the four years in the Senate. And he asked me to go with him in August of uh, 2008 when he was going to the Middle East and had never really been to the Middle East and wanted uh, uh, former, or the current senator from Rhode Island, Jack Reed, who's a good friend, and me to go with him and spent some time with him in the Middle East. And I did that. Uh, got, to, got to spend a lot of personal time with him, flying around in airplanes. And um, so we, we hit it off. We, I was a Republican, I am a Republican, he was a Democrat, uh, but that didn't matter. It never mattered to me uh, what your political philosophy was. If, if, if you were a friend, you're a friend. That, that's the way I looked at it. And we, you can differ on the policies and issues. So we always had a good relationship. After I left the Senate and he became president in 2009, um, I went on to teach at Georgetown University and chairman of the Atlantic Council, uh, did a lot of things. And also uh, he had asked me if I would be co-chairman of his pre president's intelligence advisory board. So I had an office in the White House and so on, but it wasn't a full-time job because I didn't want a full-time job back in government. I wanted to be out of government for a while. Uh, so that's a little background on uh, our relationship and how I got to know him. Serving with him uh, literally day to day and seeing him sometimes uh, once a day, twice a day, uh, was, was first of all an honor. Uh, but um, I, like, I liked him. I like him very much. Uh, he's a very, very competent uh, person. He's uh, an interesting mix for a politician. He's a kind of semi-intellectual, almost like a college professor, which he was, uh, <clears throat> but yet also a practical politician. Uh, he's very careful. Yeah. He's very analytic. Um, uh, he uh, asks a lot of tough questions. But uh, I like the way he governed. It, 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 uh, it fit my style, even though I was a Republican. Um, and uh, I, I learned a lot from him. I think, uh, uh, you know, no one ever really is totally qualified to be president of the United States. I mean, no one's done it before. So when, when you're running for that job, uh, you don't really know what, what to expect. That's why I always have judged candidates for any office, but especially for president. Uh, based first on character yeah. and integrity and courage and judgment. Everything else is important, but those four are indispensable requisites. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he had all those. Uh, we didn't agree all the time, by the way. We, we, uh, we disagreed on, on some issues. Um, but he always gave you a fair hearing and let you uh, explain why uh, you took the position you yeah. did. Uh, so I think uh, uh, I might, might add one other thing before I uh, 
conclude. I think he was always aware of, <clears throat> he was the first African-American president of the United States. And I think he was always aware uh, that he would be judged, uh, not just on how well he did as president, but as an African-American president. And, he, and I think he understood that the future of African-American candidates and presidents, possible presidents, uh, were, were really, uh, be, would be riding on his shoulders. And if he really screwed up and he made some big mistakes, uh, he would hurt the chances uh, for African-Americans down the road. And I mean, he never said that, but, but I, I sensed that because he was that kind of a responsible person. He is that kind of a responsible person. Uh, so uh, he had a, an additional burden on him, not just being president, but also representing yeah, an, an yeah. entire, uh, that's right, African-American community. That, and so to prove that, that uh, he could do a job, and he did it very well. He did it for eight years. Yeah. Uh, uh, no basic scandal in his administration. And I think he'll be a president that historians will reflect on very well. And I think he was a president that uh, Americans and the world could be proud of. Yeah, you made such a good point about the two words there, character and integrity, I think will always come to mind whenever anyone really thinks about Obama. And, and I have to take this opportunity to really ask you, you know, given that you've mentioned your age, we didn't mention your age, but you have lived a very long and fascinating life. And I would love to know, just looking back over your journey and given that you've lived through the civil rights movement, you I don't know, like your, your memories of like the MLKs or the Malcolm X's or the Rosa Parks and all of those big names that we know, especially over on this side of the world that we know and we, we look up to. I just wondered, looking back over your journey, is there anything during those movements or during those people's times that you think, wow, that is a lesson well learned and that is something that will never go out of fashion? Is there anything perhaps that you would draw back from the past to use now in the present? Well, it's a good question. Um, Malcolm X, for example, was from Omaha, Nebraska. And I, I didn't know him, but if you, if you isolate on the year 1968, uh, I was in Vietnam all of 1968. It was the worst year uh, for America in, in Vietnam, the Vietnam War. 1968, we sent home more than 16,000 dead Americans in one year. Uh, I mean, that, that is today almost unfathomable. Uh, no country would allow that. That was the same year that Robert Kennedy was assassinated, Martin Luther King was assassinated, yeah. cities were burned, riots in the cities, uh, racial problems everywhere. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible year for America. But because you had the courage of those civil rights leaders, uh, like King, Malcolm X, you mentioned Rosa Parks, who was one of the great, great heroines of it all, yeah. uh, they, changed, they changed the world. They, they changed certainly the United States. And, and I think it reflected on, on one of the things that I've always believed about America. We're totally imperfect. We make mistakes, make mistakes every day. Uh, we're not God's chosen few. Maybe, maybe we'll find that out one day. I'm in no hurry. Uh, but uh, uh, we're like any other people in the world that that our system allows us, and I think most democracies are this way, to self-correct. I mean, uh, we have 27 amendments to our constitution. The reason we do is because we didn't get it all right at the beginning in 1776. In America, unless you were a white male landowner, you didn't have the rights that were inscribed in the preamble of the constitution. Yeah. Uh, we've changed that. We've gotten better. We still have big problems, but we're, we're making progress on them. So you can self-correct. And that's what those leaders uh, during that time uh, really did for America. It was very difficult. It was unfair. It was harsh, a lot of tragedy, but they prevailed because it was the right thing. And America did eventually the right thing. So I admire those people. Uh, and Obama was, was one of the, the young disciples uh, of that. I mean, he was, a, he was an organizer in his community. 
yeah. after he graduated and so on. I just wanted to bring in uh, Sophie to the conversation as well. What you're talking about in terms of self-correcting and seeing things or seeing another blind spot and then jumping in and trying to make the difference there. There are so many young people who are up to the task and up to doing that. And I think Sophie wants to jump in the conversation and just ask a question. Sophie, are you with us? Hello. Hi, Sophie. Hi. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. What's your question, sis? So, um, so people are becoming more and more involved in politics from a younger age. In the next few years, do you think we'll see a change in attitude towards us when we start voting, when it enable, enable us to make political decisions? And do you, think we'll, do you think this will lead to stopping being referred to as the snowflake generation? <laughs> well, thank you. That's a good question. I think... Um, uh, your generation and the group that you identified and the, the group that I understand represents most of the, of the people on this call uh, will be more engaged. Uh, I, think, <clears throat> I think you'll be more active uh, and you should be. Uh, I go back to my generation of the 60s uh, because of what happened in the 60s and I've reflected on a, on a couple, the Vietnam War and civil rights. Um, my generation became very politically active. And my generation really changed things. And we weren't always right, uh, made mistakes. But I think the same thing is going to happen with your generation. I said at the top of the show here that the last few years, I think democracies, all nations, certainly the United States, has been questioning the things uh, that they're inheriting, the institutions, the way we've done things. Can we do them better? Should we do them better? That's good, that's healthy. And we have a system that allows that. And I think we are at that point in the history of the world and in the United States where it'll be your generation that will propel a new kind of world, a better kind of world. You'll build on what's gone before just like my generation did. And, and you'll take what was good about that because my generation and past generations did a lot of good. Yeah. And, but you'll make it better. I really believe that. Thank you, Sophie. Um, thank and you. thank you, Sophie Hagel, as well, for your answer. Thank you, Sophie, for joining in the conversation. Um, just off the back of that as well, someone wants to know this answer to this question. In the 2006 US presidential election, the voter turnout of young people was reported to be as low as 19% in some states. What do you think is needed to spark more youth engagement in politics? Well, uh, those numbers are correct. I, uh, I think, by the way, in this election, you're gonna find um, a significant increase uh, for all the reasons and the reasons we've been discussing some of them. Yeah. The state of the world today, the state of the economy, the state of how we're doing. And I think young people will respond to that and I hope they do. Uh, um, what it takes is the enthusiasm uh, and the interest and the courage that comes with young people. Um, young people have that inherently. That doesn't mean they, they necessarily will use it. And, and it doesn't mean that they necessarily use it for the right reasons. But, but when you're your age, uh, you've got that. I mean, you, that is, you are an embodiment of enthusiasm and questions and interest uh, and energy. And that's a precious, precious thing. That commodity is precious. And intellectually, you're probably better off than any generation uh, in the world. Uh, you, you're better educated. You know more. You understand more. Um, because of technology, obviously, it's connected us all in the world, just like this technology that we're using here. Uh, so you're, you're better equipped uh, to uh, make changes and to adjust and to adapt than any generation. But so was my generation versus the World War II generation and the World War II generation versus the World War I generation. That's the way life works. Doesn't mean you'll be smart uh, or you'll do it right, but I think you will. And, and where you started in democracy uh, is at the ballot box, is getting engaged. Yeah. It's the responsibility of citizens in a democracy. How good a democracy, how good a country, how good a world you want, that's up to you, each citizen. You don't all need to run for office uh, and be actively engaged every day in politics. 
but you need to be aware. You need to be smart. You need to ask tough questions and you need to contribute too. You need to make your own community better as well as your country. All those things I think uh, are, are going to be brought forward by your generation. Yeah, and I think everything there is about responsibility, isn't it? And a lot of young people today do feel that weight of responsibility. Um, the last few questions, because I, I'm, I'm conscious of time, a couple of last questions. Um, during your service as Secretary of Defense, your team handled the Ebola ep epidemic. Um, how did your team mobilize in response? Um, because given what we're, what we're seeing today, how did you and the team kind of get that response together and be unified? And perhaps, perhaps even a bigger question there, is what can the Trump administration learn from the way you and your team handled the response to the Ebola epidemic? Uh, it's a good question. Yes, many of you will remember uh, in uh, summer of 2014, the uh, Ebola epidemic uh, surged through five countries in Western Africa. And the White House got immediately involved in it because they were friends, they were partners, they were allies, those countries, uh, but also, uh, the Obama administration recognized the threat that the Ebola uh, crisis presented to the, to the world, to the rest of the world. It, it could get out of hand. Uh, and so we, we, the entire government, Obama administration got involved. The reason that, that we came into it, Department of Defense, is because first, Department of Defense is by far the largest department in the federal government. We have resources that no other department has. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, we're about the defense of our country. We're about security. But Defense Department's work is about more, a lot more than that. Uh, we had doctors. We had nurses. We had capability. We had money. We had transport. We had logistics. We could go in and build hospitals and dispensaries and do it very quickly. We could bring in equipment. Uh, with, with our resources, fly them in with our planes, build runways to get the planes in. So we could move faster than anybody. We did that in coordination with our other agencies and departments in the federal government, the Health and Human Services, obviously CDC, Infectious Disease Centers, uh, all were part of it. But I spent a lot of my time, personal time as Secretary of Defense on this. I, I was at the White House in the Situation Room many times with the president and the heads of all these different agencies and departments going through this. So you fast forward today, COVID-19 virus hits this country yeah. uh, as well as the rest of the world. Yes, the military is involved. I mean, you, you probably have seen uh, pictures, TV uh, uh, capsules of the National Guard, Army National Guard, for example, in New York. Um, uh, the army building, building out uh, temporary hospitals in coliseums, yeah. uh, in different buildings in different cities, flying equipment in and out of the United States, uh, and flying equipment out of the United States to help other countries uh, and use where we have bases. So the military has been very critical uh, over the years, especially during Ebola, even though it was not concentrated in the United States, but it's also been very important uh, here in the United States. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I suppose my last question, um, really be on the back of that, I suppose, would you give um, any piece of advice to President Trump during this pandemic? Well, uh, the advice that I would, uh, would give the president uh, would start with his own conduct. Um, the office of the presidency of the United States is obviously the highest office in the land. Only the president, that office is voted, uh, is voted on by all Americans. There's only one office that all Americans vote for. That's the office. How you conduct yourself in that office is really key to do you respect the office? Do you respect the position? Uh, do you respect your constituents? Do you respect your country? And do you respect other countries? Um, we should always respect other countries and their way of life. We have differences on policy with China or, or other countries, especially authoritarian uh, dictators. Uh, yes, but the people, you respect the people, you respect all people. And my first piece of advice, President Trump, is, is conduct yourself in a way uh, where American can be proud of your conduct. 
And quite frankly, I don't think he's done that for a, a lot of reasons. The, then the more he, he, he walks away from that responsibility of how he handles the job um, with dignity and respect, the less people are going to trust him uh, and won't believe him. And if there is a fundamental breakdown in trust in any institution and any leader, we got a big problem. You right. can't fix that. You cannot fix that. Uh, second, I would say uh, reach out to all the leaders of the world. And this is COVID-19 is a global pandemic. You should be the unifying leader of the world to bring everybody together to work together on trying to resolve this issue and find the vaccines and find the antidotes and work together, not blame everybody else, not blame other countries, but work together. He should do the same as a, as a national, national leader, leader of our sovereign nation, working with the Congress, working with the people, working with everybody. Don't blame people. Uh, don't hold assets out unless they agree with you. Uh, those are all fundamentals uh, in leadership. Accountability, transparency, two essential ingredients of leadership. And you've got to bring all that together. This is now a time, a special time for leaders, uh, special leaders. And um, I would hope that at some point here, he starts to recognize that uh, and starts acting like a president and starts bringing dignity back to the White House. Thank you, Secretary Hale. Thank you so much. Sometimes it's just so refreshing to know that when you see something crazy on the timeline or you see or hear something that you just think, how on earth is that even possibly to be released? How does someone get away with saying that? For you to hear that and for you to respond in so many ways that we're thinking is, is refreshing. Um, and so my final question of the quarantine question time with you, sir, it has to be this. What one piece of advice would you give um, to a young person in this political climate that we're in? That, that, what was the last part of the question? If you were a young person in this political climate that we're in, what advice would you give them? Well, uh, I would recap some of the, the comments I made. Uh, believe in yourself. Uh, um, listen to people. Work hard. Respect all people. Respect different opinions. Uh, and take a view uh, of the world and your endeavors and what you believe with yes, seriousness, but with also um, with some fun. Uh, have some fun with it, uh, enjoy it. Uh, you, you don't need, need to be um, a, a, a dark, dark frocked minister uh, who is pointing his finger all the time at, at people. Um, you should be a, a leader if you want to be a leader in politics or anything that bring people together. Yeah. You should be a unifier. We all have our differences. Um, no one person that I've met in my life has all the answers. No one party has all the answers. No one country has all the answers. Everybody makes mistakes, but we are far better when we listen to each other, share the good ideas and, and, and work together. That's the only way a democracy can work. Uh, the only alternative is authoritarianism, dictatorship. So I, was, I would say to those young people who are interested in politics and wanna do something for the world, and I will end, end this way uh, as to your question on advice. I am often asked, have been asked for many, many years by young people who wanna run for office and come and ask, uh, what should I do? Uh, what do you think? And I say to him two things. Only you can figure this out. You listen to everybody, listen to your mother, your father, everybody you want to listen to, but only you can figure it out. Then the second question, and maybe the most important, is a question that only you can answer. Why do you want to do this? And if the answer is not to make a better world, then don't do it. 
Great. It should always be to make a better world, whether it's a better education system, whether it's a better transportation system, whether it's a better country, whatever it is. But you know, you should apply all that to everything you do, whether you're a teacher, business, uh, how do you make it better? And how do you make people's lives better? And it's actually pretty simple. And it goes back to what I started with, uh, having a compass, having a North Star, uh, know what governs you. And I don't know, that's the way I did it. I made a lot of mistakes. I was lucky. I, I was very lucky because I had a lot of good people help me. I, uh, um, I associated with good people. And so I worked hard. I got some breaks, uh, but I just kept pushing, pushing. I mean, I had times when, gives you this one, one moment in my life that it wasn't all that glorious. Um, I uh, was nominated by President Reagan to be uh, the first deputy secretary of the Veterans Administration. Uh, I was the youngest person uh, to ever do that. I think I was 34 years old. I mean, uh, that, that's pretty young to be the number two person in the Veterans Administration, which is the second largest department in the federal government. I resigned that job after less than a year uh, because uh, I disagreed with President Reagan and the secretary on they wanted to defund Agent Orange programs. And uh, I said, that's wrong. They wanted to shut down Vietnam veteran centers around the world. I said, that's wrong. So um, I offered my resignation, knowing full well that I'd probably uh, uh, had devastated any political future I had right. in Washington. And I was told that. And I started looking for another job. Uh, I couldn't get people to answer my phone calls. People, friends of mine said, Chuck, you, you, you've got to be honest with yourself. Uh, you're not going to get another job. Nobody's going to hire you. Uh, and um, I said, well, we'll see. And uh, I went months and months looking for a job and didn't get a I didn't get a, even a, a call back. So after a few months, two friends of mine who had been in the cable television business came to me and said, uh, Chuck, would you be interested in being a partner in a new venture called Cellular Telephones? Well, at, at that point in 1982, um, uh, late 82, nobody knew what Cellular Telephones wireless telephony was. I mean, which is now what we're doing. We have today, isn't it? Yeah. It's what we have today. And so I was lucky because that break came. I read I, everything I could read about that business. I went up to New York to talk to friends of mine on Wall Street who knew about the business. And so um, I agreed. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any job. So I needed to, to invest some money to, to be a partner. Uh, and so I sold a car I had and I sold a two life insurance policies I had, and I came up with $5,000 and I invested that with my partners. They made me president of the company, uh, Collins, Hagel, and Clark, and uh, gave me the most equity in it. And then the, the rest of the story, I, I think everybody knows. Well, you, you see, that's a very good story, not because it's me, but how things happen. Uh, somebody once told me, and you've all heard this, when one door closes, another door opens. Mm. And that's right. Yeah. Oh, we could talk for hours, you know, honestly, your stories, we could just have so many of them. But I particularly love what you said about having a North Star and asking yourself, how am I going to make the difference with whatever it is I'm passionate about? Those those gems of advice, Secretary Hegel, are, yeah, just, just so, so valuable. Thank you so much for your time and for yeah. jumping on. Honestly, a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Well, let me leave you all with this. Please. We're going to get through this COVID-19, and you've all got a tremendous future. And we're going to be better. We're all going to be better, and it's going to get better. And much of that, again, I say, is going to be due to, to you all. And thank you for what you're going to do. Oh, thank you. We've got people like yourself to keep us going. So thank you so much. We wish you a good time. And, yeah, take care. We'll speak soon. You take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. I'll keep drinking tea. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Um, ladies Bye -bye. and gentlemen, what an absolute gentleman to have on the show. Welcome to Quarantine Question Time with me, Swazi, hosted by My Life, My Say. We've got some gorgeous women in the house to kind of 
unpack everything that's just come on. So if you've um, just jumped on, welcome, welcome to Quarantine Question Time. Um, we've got Jamira in the house, we've got Ella Robertson, and we've got Telly as well. Hi, guys. Oh, maybe you guys are on mute. Hey, how's it going? Hi. Oh, good, good, good. Hi. I suppose let me just fire through everyone and just kind of get maybe the one thing out of the hundreds of things that Secretary Hegel has just left us with, especially around young people and having a vision or just having the oomph to go and edit your history. Do you know what I mean? There's been so much there. So, um, Telly, let me go with you first. Is there anything that you've just pulled out as the number one thing that you've taken from that conversation? Um, I'm literally, there was so much I could take from what Secretary Hegel said, but I think for me, it was definitely being a young politician myself, um, being elected at the age of 22, fundamentally, when I did this, I was like, am I really getting into this? But it was always going back to that question of, I'm doing this because I want to improve my communities, you know, living standards, everything. I want to make sure people are having better standards and literally exactly what he said. That's fundamentally why we get into politics because we want to better the world. And I know when you say that, you think, oh, that's so cliche, but no, it, that, that is it. You feel it in your heart and you know, you just got to keep going at it and you do make those differences. It might be small, people might not see it, but you do make those differences. So yeah, that's definitely what I took out of that, that, the reason you're doing this is to make the community or the world better. Yeah, and how, how um, it, it's so reassuring, isn't it, when you have the answer to that question, because the minute you have that answer, you're kind of like, okay, I'm on the right track and I've got that sort of heartfelt, yeah, I'm gonna do this and, I, and here is my reason for why. So yeah, brilliant. Ella as well, Managing Director of The One Young World. I just wanna know any gem that you have picked out of anything Secretary Hegel has said. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. You know, uh, there was a lady who came and spoke at One Year World about one time who was the leader of the Green Party in Australia. And she said, you know, do not go into politics because you want to be a politician. That is a terrible reason to go into politics. You know, go into it because you, you want to change something. Um, but I also think um, the points he made about bipartisanship are so important. Like we've really lost that in every country at the moment. Like the, the center has really collapsed. And I think, you know, whether in this country, people just don't feel that they're able to actively appear in campaigns or do work that is cross-party at the moment they feel they have to just be so tribal and it's really damaging like you know the, if you've got skills even if you don't agree with someone on everything you could be working to make a difference and I think it's a real tragedy that so many young people are growing up in a world where they only see political parties who just are constantly warring with each other um, and he is like really the ultimate bipartisan politician so you know so much to learn from that and kind of harkens back to in some ways better days than than we've known in recent times yeah most definitely honestly um Jamira's with us as well all the way from the u.s i feel like, like we're just international in the house man so i know i'm gonna wrap <laughs> my new york arms around all of you <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, we'd love to have you. Thank you so much. The head of Youth Engagement and Skills, Global Business Coalition for Education. I want to know, yeah, what is your North Star, or, or as well as anything else that you picked out as a real encouragement for what Secretary Hegel said? Yeah, no, that was such an inspiring conversation. Um, and it's so funny that he was sipping tea because I don't know how, if he realized he was also serving tea to all of us, right? I don't think he got the cultural reference. Um, but it was so inspiring because when you talked about, with him about the trajectory of his life, right, about how, how to lead with purpose in almost every aspect of your life from the earliest job you have all the way up to being appointed by the president to a very senior level position. Um, and he mentioned Malcolm X, one of my favorite leaders whose birthday was yesterday, um, which reminds me of a really good quote from Malcolm X, which is that I may not change the world, but I will spark the brain that will change the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that was very representative of the life that Hagen has led thus far is like, how do you do good and ensure that someone will take something from it in order to take that work that much further. So it was super inspiring. I'm, I'm excited to listen in. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and guys, if you've got questions, welcome to Quarantine Question Time. Send your questions in. Um, we'll try and see if there's time for perhaps a call, if someone wants to jump on the call or um, get through to the Q&A function as well. Um, just bringing this round back, I suppose, to the coronavirus and just kind of you guys' expertise and where you're, where you're at with everything. Um, we held a poll uh, earlier on in the show, and the question was this, what do you think will be the biggest impact globally as a result of COVID-19 in terms of young people? Um, and it's really refreshing to hear not only Secretary Hagel say so much around, yeah, admitting mistakes and his humility was just really on point. Um, but in terms of your areas of expertise, yeah, maybe Telly, I'll go with you first. Um, what do you think maybe on that list? I'll just give the rundown is economy, job security, health service, 
food and agriculture, poverty, mental health, and schooling. Is there any one for you, sis, that you think, yeah, that will be the number one thing for young people that will impact us globally? I think for me personally, it will be jobs um, and economy. I think for a lot of young people who are, you know, potentially graduating from university, they're coming into such an uncertain world. And for them, it's going to be like, how do I manoeuvre? How do I navigate? For many people who may have businesses, I work in Hackney, where there's a lot of startup businesses, a lot of young entrepreneurs. A lot of them are thinking, you know, they're not getting support potentially from a lot of the schemes. And for them, it's kind of like, how do I build my business? How do I even plan for the future? To a lot of them who have done business abroad, for example, they're thinking, you know, a lot of it has stopped a lot of the trading stops. So many people, those those questions, those uncertainties. So I think for me, it's jobs that I've been continuously seeing from young people. That's always the questions have really been raising, which have been raised with myself, the concerns about their job security and employment and so forth. For many people just thinking, how am I planning for a future? How will I pay my bills, my rent and so forth? So yeah, I think that's what's going to come up um, from, I guess, the participants today. Yeah, amazing. Just before I go over to Jamira and Ella, I think we've got Manon on the call as well. Um, wants to jump in with a question, I believe. Manon, are you there? Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Where are you calling in from? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, okay, that's still far. Not as far as, you know, New York, <laughs> but we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, Manon, what's your, what's your question? Uh, so my question is, um, Secretary Hegel spoke about how he believes youth turnout will increase. So what can we do to engage more youth people, more young people in elections, especially for Jamira in the US for the upcoming presidential elections? Brilliant question. Thank you, Manon. Thank you so much for getting involved. Um, yeah, Jamira, what's your thoughts? <sighs> so, so, so many thoughts. And I was actually happy that y'all talked about that. Um, I think, yes, voter turnout is going to improve since 2016. But I think what most folks don't understand is that you can't take lack of showing up to vote in a silo without also recognizing the continuation of voter suppression that has happened so heavily in the United States, particularly in urban communities where most of the voters are people of color. And so over the last few months, there's been a number of organizations that have worked steadily to ensure that young people do not get their vote taken away or don't take it for granted and really ensure that we create clear pipelines for folks to be able to show up, which is really hard during a global pandemic. And so we're encouraging a lot of folks who are, who are eligible to vote to submit your vote by mail ballot to ensure that your vote is counted and or create a, a strategy for day of election that ensures that you're able to show up. Um, to the point that was the question that was asked earlier, you know, I think that this I was recently looking at the Great Depression, right? Because every few decades we have a recession. It is, it's almost to um, Secretary Hagen's point that, you know, society corrects itself because we oftentimes relive history. I think what's really important about this moment is that we're entering a time of the fourth industrial revolution, right? Where automation, robotics, where it's almost increasing the wealth gap around the world, preventing those who are at the bottom of society from getting access to wealth. And I think my biggest fear is that when we come out of this, this time is that we're going to continue to leave those who are in the margins because they weren't able to continue their education or they weren't able to get access to a job or work from home, will still not be able to take advantage of those resources. So I think it's really important that young people realize what's at stake and yeah. that they create a, um, a strategy to ensure that they are able to exercise their vote and vote for the policies and people that represents their interests. Yeah, thank you, Jamira. And, and yeah, to Manon's question and to your answer and to everything that's been said, it feels as though there's like young people just, just pack a different set of punch, you know, there's like more, more fuel in the tank or more energy just to keep going. And like you said, to correct things along the way. And um, Ella, I just want to throw it over to you, especially in light of One Young World and Manon's question as well. What do you think about young people becoming engaged and just making sure that they vote? How, how is it that that conversation sits in the world that you live in? I, I, I'm optimistic most of the time around young people. Um, voting is one of the areas where I don't feel particularly confident at the moment. I think partly because of this extreme partisan landscape, like young people who, you know, actually a lot of the time are just moderate people, as most of us are, find that they don't have a home and they find the kind of extremes on both sides, just they, they don't feel like they belong. Additionally, like in this country, and, and you know, I mean, I know Washington has it as well, like politics feels really arcane. You know, I mean, like, look, I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that the speaker stopped wearing a wig. I mean, look at like, you know, people look at the House of Commons, the House of Lords, and they go like, what is happening there? Like, that has nothing to do with my life. 
Um, and I don't see enough people like me, um, you know, in, in, in politics, you know, we don't have enough people of color, we don't have enough women, we don't have enough LGBT or disabled people. So I really think that we've got a lot of work to do before young people feel like, you know, it's, it's relevant for them. And I, and I you know, I'm, I'm so heartened to have like Meta and Tello on this call who are, who are politicians themselves, because we need you guys to run for office. And as Secretary Hagel says, not everyone has to run for office. Of course not. There's so many ways to make a difference. But you know, if it's ever, if it's ever occurred to you to do it, you should give it a go because we really do need, I'm not saying every politician should be young, you know, we should have diversity and age as well. But we need young people to run for office and we need people to take, take up that mantle and tackle those challenges with the energy that Swazi mentions. You know, this is not something that we can wait to solve. Things like climate change, things like racial inequality, you know, they can't wait. People are dying today. And if we don't really take up that mantle ourselves, you know, we're just going to wait around and watch more and more mistakes being made. So I really, really hope that people are inspired by Secretary Hagel and his really early start in politics and his life of service. And, go away and think about it and decide they want to step up themselves. Yeah, we've got five minutes until we wrap up. I'll give you the results of the poll and I'm going to do a quick fire round of everyone's number one top tip for anyone else who wants to add anything, if you could possibly add um, to what Secretary Hagel said about if you're young and you are thinking, yeah, that sounds a bit like me. I've got a bit of a heart for this or I feel like I want to be engaged in that. If you've got one piece of advice to give those young people, maybe have a think. And these are the results from the poll um, that we said. We said, what is the number one thing that is going to affect young people as a result globally of COVID-19. 38% said our economy. So Teddy, you was right on the mark there. Our, our economy is going to be, yeah, probably top spot for a lot of young people. 17% said mental health and 14% said health service. So I think mental health, it just really is an umbrella, really, of so many different categories. Um, and yeah, the health service. I mean, eight o'clock today, we're going to be clapping for the NHS um, in the UK, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not mm -hmm. too sure what the US does, but I think you guys before you clap as well and support. Um, so yeah, eight o'clock, don't forget to do that. But yeah, okay, four minutes to go. Um, so yeah, let me go with Jamira first. A number one top tip for any young person who's sitting there thinking, you guys are talking about me. I need to get engaged. So yeah, I know you work with young people. So what would be your advice? Yeah, I would say we are definitely talking about you, right? There is no age requirement to change the world. There's no required money to change the world. If we look at every movement in history, it's been the poorest, oftentimes the youngest people speaking on behalf of communities that's been able to transform. And you don't have to just run for office, right? You can lead an organization. You could work in business and still ensure that the values are, are brought in that represents the interests of the community. And you could be a community activist. Um, I would just say that there's a space and place for every single one of you to be a part of change and you need to figure out what you uniquely bring to the movement in order to ensure that all of us are doing the little we can do to move the entire world forward yeah amazing great advice um let me go to ella next any advice ella get going you know no one's no one's gonna give you a ticket no one's gonna you know no one's gonna make it make it easier for you than it is today lock lockdown aside but there's so much online activism you could be doing but really stop talking, start doing. You know, we can all sit around in awesome conversations like this and they are important, but what's even more important is the step that you go on to take next. So I just think feel really empowered to act and realize that your actions really, really will have an impact on the world. Um, and uh, also if you are a young person working on COVID relief, One Young World has a fund that is looking to help you. We've got hundreds of thousands of dollars ready to help young people like you. So go to oneyoungworld.com and apply for funding and hopefully we can help you help your community. Collect your coins, young people, boy. Just go and collect your corona coins. Um, Telly, what about you, sis? Any last words to add to the, to the list of pieces of advice? Um, I, all I have to say is be your authentic and real self. Yes. Whatever you do, wherever you're making an impact, whether it's the workplace, whether you decide to run in public office, we've got the local elections coming up, 2022. Um, just be your real and authentic self because that's what is relatable and translate to the audience that you are trying to transmit your message to. They see through the fakeness, believe me, but they relate okay. to someone who is real and understands what they need and gives them that real conversation and the truth. So yeah, be your authentic and real self and you will stride. 
Yeah. AKA, come and bring your sauce. Come and add your flavor to this conversation. Um, guys, thank you so, so much. If you have locked in this evening, um, you know, there's been comments there about my enthusiasm because if this stuff doesn't get you going and if this advice is just about, yeah, gonna not change anything, it's, it's true that you do have a platform and you have a voice that you can share. Um, so to Jamira, to Telly as well, to Ella, thank you so much, guys for tuning in, it's absolutely an honor just to hear where you guys are, are doing things. Maybe just a quick plug, I've got ah, 30 seconds, a quick plug of where we can find your stuff. Uh, Jamira, I'll go to you first. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Jamira Burley. Perfect, Ella? Uh, at Ella Robertson on Twitter, at Ella Robertson underscore on Instagram, and How to Make a Difference, our handbook to activists, is available on Amazon and in all good bookshops and some bad ones too. <laughs> Tell you as well. Um, my name, Tele Lawal, um, and on Twitter. So yeah, follow me. Thanks. <laughs> Um, this is Quarantine Question Time, hosted by myself, Swazi, and My Life Marseille. We'll be back again very, very soon. Thank you to everyone who locked in. Have a good evening and stay safe. Take care. Thanks. Bye. You're listening to My Life Marseille's podcast.